Well, good morning again. Is it not just a gorgeous day? Am I on? Can you? Okay. I'll just. There, hey, there we go. Hey, good morning. There we go. Is it not gorgeous outside? My good. It was like 60 degrees this morning, and the sun was coming up. Um, it is great to be here today. Um, I want to remind you next week, as Burke said, is group link Sunday night, 6 p.m. Be here. Um, I promise you um, it will be worth it. So be here next Sunday night, 6 p.m. for group link. When I was in graduate school, I took a class, um, a required class, um, evangelism class. And one of the assignments for the class was you had to go out to a public place and share the gospel with people. And if you've ever done this where you just randomly go up to people, um, it is very difficult to do. To, to walk up to someone and start a conversation and to tell them about Jesus, especially in our day and time when people are not trusted like they used to be and there's a lot of speculation and doubt around the church. And so we had to do this and so I went up to the very first person in the park small in Arlington, Texas, and I asked him if he knew who Jesus was, and he said, "Yes, do you?" <laughs> and the conversation kind of went downhill from there. the The next time I did this, there was a guy who kind of offered to mentor people and help people in this, and so I called him, and we met again at the park small, and we were sitting in the food court, and we were talking about how you share your faith, and um, he just randomly starts this conversation with this couple next to us, and it was amazing to see their, their demeanor change as they're having a dinner with their family, and how quickly they ate their pizza and got up to leave, and it was really a difficult thing to do. And I I think, just honestly, I think there are some much more effective ways to do that. But one thing I did find in that experience was it was a lot easier the second time when I had someone there with me. So regardless about the method, regardless of how effective it is and I think that type of evangelism has had its day and can still be something that's used, but more than not, what I learned in that experience was I was a lot more courageous the second time when someone was right there beside me. Have you ever had a time when you were supposed to tell someone about Jesus? And you didn't. When you knew like the doors were open and there was this opportunity, and for whatever reason, because you were in a hurry or because you were afraid or you didn't know what to say, you didn't do it. And maybe on the other side of that experience, you felt this guilt of, man, if I had only said something. Or, man, if I had not missed this opportunity. See, a lot of times on the other side of that, we feel this guilt and we feel remorse. 
And so many times we have these opportunities probably right in front of us that we miss because we're not looking for them. And then when we do see them, we're not real sure what to do. And we don't have anyone else beside us. The story in Acts chapter 3, we're going to begin this morning, Acts chapter 3, verse 1. One day Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put there every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. And when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. And Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. And it's really interesting as the book of Acts begins, how often ministry takes place in the context of community. That even if you go back to Acts 2 and you listen to Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, the story begins, Peter and the other disciples stood up in front of the people. That we give Peter all the credit, but you have to realize that Peter is there, but he's surrounded by these other believers who have the same goal and who have the same mission and who are doing the same thing that he is. And then we fast forward to this story, to Acts chapter 3, and you have Peter and John going about life, doing what they do every single day. There were two times these Jews would go to the temple to pray in the morning and one in the afternoon. And they're on their way to the temple to pray just like they have done every single day of their life. And as they go, they encounter a man sitting outside the gate who is begging because he is lame and he cannot walk. You see, people have to bring him and put him there. People have to place him there. And you have to think there's a reason that he's going there, right? Like inherently, he believes there's something special about that place. Because if there was not something special about that particular place, then you might as well put him anywhere. But the place that he wants to go is the temple. Interestingly enough, it is the temple that he is not allowed inside because he is lame. But yet he wants to go there because he believes there is something powerful about that place. A 
place that he cannot enter into. Wouldn't it be so frustrating to believe there is this place that has life-changing power and that miracles are done within it and yet I cannot go in and I have this humongous need to be healed. Wouldn't it be a travesty? Wouldn't it be a sense of hopelessness? That the place that I need to be to be healed, I cannot enter in. And so all I can do is sit outside and hope what's inside there would somehow reach out here. I would imagine there would be this incredible sense of hopelessness. But as Peter and John are on their way to the temple and they're passing by, they say to the man, look at us. Look at us. And the man gives them his undivided attention. And I wonder how easy it would have been if Peter and John were by themselves. And Peter and John were running late and they had to get there in time for prayer to be devout Jews, devout Christians. How easy it would have been to pass on by. You see, so many times when we have talked about evangelism and sharing our faith as a church, we talk about coming to gather for worship and then scattering for mission. But the biblical picture that we see is us gathering for worship, but also gathering to go out on mission together. You have Peter and, and John in this place, in this time, and they come up to this man who's begging, who's been there every single day. Who countless number of people have walked by and walked by and walked by and walked by, and then they stop and they say, look at us. Look at us. See, they are living life on mission together. They are sharing in this sharing of their faith. They're doing it together. And so let's just kind of press pause right here with this statement. Look at us. There's a passage in John that I've always had a lot of trouble with. It's John chapter 16, verse 7. And Jesus is in the middle of this prayer, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit and the work that he's going to do and then he comes along and he says, But very truly I tell you, it is for your good <clears throat> that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Some translations will say, It is better that I go away. But here John says, it is for your own good that I go away. 
And here's the problem I've had with this, this passage. How is that for my own good? How is it better that Jesus leaves from standing right beside me? I mean, wouldn't you love it to have Jesus right by your side? Wouldn't you have him, love to have him walking along the road and saying, hey, Jesus, I'm about to make this decision and I don't know what to do. Jesus, we're out of something to drink. Any, any chance you could do something for us? Wouldn't that be amazing? And yet Jesus says, this is better that I go away. I understand this. God says, for his kingdom to inherit the earth, to rule, to be built, that is the spirit of Christ inside of us, not beside us, that is going to give us the power to do this. It is the spirit of Christ inside of us, rather than beside us, that is going to give us the power to be builders of his kingdom. And so Peter and John are walking up to the temple to pray, and they say to this man, look at us. And, and while we get why he says that there is something so significant about this phrase, look at us. Because what Peter and John want this man to see is not them. It's not the us. But it's the Spirit of Christ and the power of Christ within us. That Christ is no longer beside us, He's inside of us. And we want you to see that through our lives. It is the Spirit of Christ inside of us, not beside us, that he chooses to change this man's life. And it is the Spirit of Christ inside of you rather than beside you that he has sent you into this world with. But there's the question of, well, how is this better? How is this better than having Jesus right beside us? And here's the beauty of what's happening in this ministry right here for Peter and John. Look at us. Because what we hope that you're going to see is the Spirit of Christ inside of us. But, when that happens in the context of community, it is not just the Spirit of Christ inside of us. It is now the Spirit of Christ beside us. Do you get that? That if Christ is inside of me, 
and Christ is inside of you. And he has empowered you. He has empowered me with his spirit. Then when we share in community together, we have the spirit of Christ inside of us and beside us. How is this better? Because everything that I wanted with Jesus beside me, I now have when you stand beside me. Everything that I wanted with Jesus to say, hey, Jesus, can you heal? Jesus, can you speak words? Jesus, can you encourage me? Jesus, can you help keep me accountable? All of that that I would want with Jesus right by my side, I now have within me and beside me because Christ lives in me. It is the Spirit of Christ inside and beside. And what happens in this moment is this man gets up and he walks. And everyone who's watching sees. In verse 10 it says, They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. You see, they knew this man. They knew this man because this man was there every day. But this was probably the invisible man. He was the man that you didn't want to notice. He was the man that you walk by every single day and it's so much easier to look the other way. He was the man who had the needs that you just didn't have the time to get to know about. He was the man who had some deep, profound needs. You see, the needs that he's begging for are probably something, there's probably something greater behind. He needed money. But the reason he needed money was because he was lame and could not work. And because he was lame and could not work and could not go into the temple, I would imagine he felt alone. That oftentimes our needs are just signs of a greater need. We need money. But what we really need is a place to belong. We need healing. What we really need is someone just to simply listen to me. We need a friend. And what we really need is just to feel like we actually matter to someone. How easy is it to walk by the people? and pretend that we don't see them. And you see, the significance of the story is that this man has gone to this place because he believes there is power in this place to heal him. And even though he cannot go in, I would imagine there is hope that's what's on the inside would somehow come 
outside. Wouldn't it be a travesty if there were people on the outside who felt like they did not belong on the inside? See, this man believed something about this place. But what he discovers that the power is not within the place. The power is within the people of that place. Because the place is not where Christ now dwells. The place that Christ now dwells is inside of his people. And you and I have been sent into this world with the Spirit of Christ inside of us and beside us to offer hope and healing to a world that is broken. And as you read the book of Acts, one of the things that you will find is of the countless number of miracles and depending on you, how you count them and what you count as a miracle, there are somewhere around 40. Do you realize that only one of them takes place in church? One of them takes place in church. And it's because Paul preaches too long and a young kid falls asleep and falls out the window. Which is why I am committing from now on to a 15-minute sermon intro. Um, But no, no, he falls asleep because Paul preaches too long, falls out the window and dies, and they raise him back to life. Of all the miracles in in Acts, that's the one that's in the church. And every other miracle that takes place is outside of the church. It's on a road. It's in the gates, the entrance to the temple. It's in everyday life. Because it is the power of the people, not the power of the place. And the reason the people of the place have power is because now the Spirit of Christ dwells inside of them. And in the context of community with one another, The Spirit of Christ now dwells beside us. So it is our sending capacity, not our seating capacity, that is the measure of a great church.
It is our ability to send people out on mission. Not to bring people in to be seated. It it is our ability to send people out to share Jesus with people together that is the measure of our ministry. It is the measure of our effectiveness. It is our sending capacity, not our seating capacity, that is the measure of a great church. So Jesus gives this great commission. And he says that you're going to go into all the world and share the good news. And then in Acts chapter 1, right before he ascends back to heaven, he tells the apostles, you're going to go to Jerusalem and you're going to wait there for the gift that I'm going to send you. And they go and they wait. And Jesus sends this gift on them on the day of Pentecost. He gives them his spirit. And yet they stay in Jerusalem. And then you have Acts chapter 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, and the apostles are still all in Jerusalem. And you wonder, well, where's this command? Go into all the earth. Go to Judea and Samaria. Where is this? When is this going to take place? And yet the apostles are so comfortable where they are. They're doing ministry. They're doing amazing things, but no one's leaving. And so in chapter 8, God sends this persecution that scatters the church. That, that it takes this persecution to get the church outside of just sitting and waiting. Because sometimes that sitting and waiting sounds really good. Go and wait, and I'm going to send my spirit on you. Well, since we're waiting, we might as well just wait. And wait, and wait, and wait. And it's almost like God just says, okay, fine. Y'all stay here and do this work. Paul, come here. And Paul says, okay, I'll take the whole world. You got Jerusalem. You, you 11, get Jerusalem. I got the rest of the world. And they go, and the gospel is taken throughout the world. See, the question we love to ask is how many people are here? But the better question is how many people are going out? Watch this. Hi, everybody. My name is Kema Nazian. I'm from Nigeria. So my story coming to Shiloh is... I started back in 2012 when I came with my sister who's in Lubbock, Kosi. And for me, um, I was really interested in God and trying to figure out who God is for myself. And I was praying while I was back in Austin because I lived there for a while. And I was praying to God to help me find a church, help me find an apartment that had like a bus route because I thought everywhere was like Austin where there are buses everywhere. But we saw Shiloh and we're like, okay, well, let's just try it and let's see how it goes. And to be honest, I was a little apprehensive because 
coming to East Texas and being black, I, I was told that it might be racist and stay away from older people because, you know, they'll treat you bad. And But coming to Shiloh, like, I remember the first person that talked to us was Bill Tyson and he told us immediately like okay I went to South Africa and you know he was really bonding with us on an African level because you know we're Nigerians and he kept inviting us to class and so one day we went to O.L. Smith's class and I think the thing that really impressed me and my sister was um, uh, one time uh, Bertha Mote's um, late son he was sick and they were praying for his son and everyone was praying and after the prayer there was just this like it was so obvious that there was a peace in the room and I would just figure that um, like if people who are older could still trust God to this point in their lives like I want to be part of this you know what they're doing here so I went there for we stayed at the at that class for like a year and we bonded with people there so many people and um, my story like I was out of school um, in 2013 for the spring and I couldn't go to school and being an international student that's kind of like the worst thing that can happen to you and for me looking back now that was a desert in my life when I was asking God why like you know I was, I was just basically asking why like why would this happen to me this is the worst thing that could happen to me but for me being that like, was very stubborn and my heart was very like against God I didn't know it at the time but that was the way God used that to get my attention. And I remember when um, uh, the old youth minister was having a sermon and he talked about Peter swimming to Jesus and what's stopping you. And I remember asking uh, Betty Hunt after church that, how do you know you're a Christian? Like, and she told me, you all, you have this peace about you. And I was like, okay, well, I think I want to, I want, I want that in my life. And I, she took me to her husband, Travis Hunt, and uh, Don Fabus was there, and we, you know, they asked me, okay, like, you know, they just asked me some questions, and I was like, well, I would really like to be baptized, that, and they said, okay, well, what about Wednesday? And I was like, well, I mean, I read about some Ethiopian eunuch, and he, like, did it right away, so I don't know what's stopping us, let's just do it today, and I got baptized that day, and I told my sister, Kosi, and she was like, well, I want to be baptized also, so we both got baptized on the same day, and, you know, I thought, honestly, like, you know, it was an experience for me, but I thought everything would be all rosy and everything would work out, but, like, it, it just didn't. <laughs> so, things were just happening in my life, like, you know, being a Nigerian and, you know, when, like, the Bible says that when you, if you choose God, you have to follow Him. And my external family, not my immediate family, not like my parents, but my external family kind of cut us off uh, financially and um, we didn't, basically we were alone. But um, at the same time, we didn't have jobs, and um, there were times like back then we didn't have food and we were hungry. But God always sent people to help us. Like um, I remember, we didn't have phones, and uh, Chris and Cynthia Decos they just went and got us a phone, and I used that phone like to like my graduation. And I remember uh, the Odoms like just inviting us to the sewing group, and there was always she would always pack us food. And we were not the kind of people to tell people like because it's kind of like a basic need you should have food and that's how we had food to eat and um, eventually like God did provide my sister got an internship at school so that was a job and then um, because I feel like God wanted to get my attention to that point of Christianity like things started opening up for me with my international 
visa and stuff and I was able to get back in status and go back to school and I think for me like what Shiloh has done for me personally it has you know in my country we don't express love love is not something that we say it's not even something that like it, it's more like if someone says I love you it's like ugh, like don't don't say that it's just wrong but here I've seen it so it's more like I've I've seen what love is I've seen what's you know what we should be like as disciples it just validated that even if we're Nigerians in a foreign country we matter to God and God loves everybody regardless of your skin color your gender your sexuality God loves everybody and he's he wants us all to succeed so like for me because of what Shiloh has done for us in church um, like we decided to start like uh, an international student outreach and we had our first one in September and the students that came like you know I had people that texted me back that night and was like thank you so much for having us that we really had a good time and like for us we just want to show people because I think we're the only two international students in this church and I may be wrong but that in spite of the fact that you're from a different country that God loves you and God cares about you and God wants you to succeed that there's nothing that you can tell him that's like you know bad or like oh no we don't want to talk about this but because if people here were willing to reach out to me with all of my issues internationally then God can reach anybody so yeah that's my story so here's the question see Kemma had the courage come inside but how many people in Tyler, Texas do not and maybe the only way they ever hear about Jesus is through you and I is his hands and feet I hear people say we just need to get the sermons out there so more people can hear them No, we don't. We don't need more of my voice. We need more of your voices. Every single day. We need more voices like Kemo who are saying, well, here's what God has given me, and so I'm going to start this outreach to people who are like me where I'm at. Because she has a voice there. She has a voice there with people that I would never have a voice with. And I'll talk to people who say, well, I just can't talk well or I don't know what to say. Listen, your voice is not how you sound. It's who you are. And every single person has a voice with someone. Use it for Christ. Use it in the power of community. Because in community, Christ's Spirit lives inside of us and beside us. And we have been sent into this world to be his hands and feet, to change this world, to be builders of his kingdom. And so with each one of these, I'm sorry, exalt, encourage, and engage, we've had some next steps for you, some really practical next steps that you can do. By the way, we're going to take a gun out and shoot a cricket. With the love of Jesus. Do y'all hear that thing? 
Wow. So we have some next steps. They do not involve crickets. Um, but here, here they are. One, go next door. And I mean that literally. At your house, where you live as a family, go next door. And here's what I know. It is so much easier to write a check to care for somebody else's neighbor than go to next door to yours. Go next door. Get to know the people who live beside you. Get to know the people who live on your street. Get to know them. Share with them. Do life with them. Serve. Find a place to serve in our church. And we're going to make it really easy and practical over the next month to find ways to plug in if you are not doing something. Let me just ask, how many people right now in some way are serving in our church? Whether it is cleaning or teaching or greeting or you do something in our church. Just raise your hand. You do something to serve. Okay, some of y'all are lying and not raising your hand. But we probably have about half of this room that serves in some form or fashion here. One of the things we want as we move forward is we want that number to be 100%. Serving and sharing life together. And then send. We want to send you out of this place to live life on mission together. And finally, replace yourself. That we want it to be part of our culture and DNA That there is always someone coming along behind you that you are mentoring and walking with. No matter what it is that you do, no matter how much you know, we want you to be pouring your life into someone else who's not as far along in the journey as you are. And it's not some awkward thing like, hey, let let me mentor you. But it's just simply walking alongside of someone, encouraging them, teaching them, growing with them. Because there should always be someone on the journey who's ahead of you, who's pouring into you, and there should always be someone who's behind you that you're pouring into. So there are the the steps. Go next door, serve, send, and replace yourself. Really practical. And like I said, over the next several weeks, we're going to be talking about those next steps and the really easy, practical things you can do to take those because we want you, wherever you are, to always know there is always a next step. There is not a place where you arrive to where this is the end of the journey. I'm a fully developed follower of Jesus. You never get to that point. There is always a next step. There's always something else to do. And so today, we go from this place with the power of Christ inside of us and beside of us so that it is our sending capacity not our seating capacity that is the measure of our ministry. Father, we pray today that you empower us with your spirit, that you give us life to go into the earth, all the earth, and be your hands and feet, to be your light, to be your salt, and Father, to bring the love of Jesus to a broken and hurting world. God, we pray for your spirit to revive us as a church and as a people and give us a passion to lead others to you. And so, Father, we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. If you've never given your life to Christ this morning, we offer you this opportunity to come to him, to give your life to him, to submit to him, and to be raised 
through baptism into a new life. If you've never done that, we offer you that invitation. If we could simply pray for you, we're going to have ministry staff and shepherds around the back of the auditorium. But whatever your need, come while we stand and sing.